In fact, I'll just read from the book of Esther. I'm standing here in this most pivotal moment and have a very small window to relay uh, the most important message. Probably of all the sermons that we would hear, we probably could kind of boil them down into, into this small, finite um, script. It's based upon something that's um, critically important. The book of Esther is the only book that doesn't mention God. doesn't say El or Adonai, Yahweh, Jehovah. It's the only book in the Bible. But clearly he's uh, in every passage of the scripture. It's a very unique book. It's almost poetic in form. Uh, Esther is following Queen Vashti, who has been banished and put aside, perhaps killed. And there's a king, he's a wicked king, he's King Ahasuerus. He goes by other names. He searched the kingdom to find someone, and he found a beautiful young girl, a Hebrew girl. She's incognito. Her gifts and talents are beautiful. (laughs) Wouldn't you like for your spiritual gift to be just a flat out knockout well what's your gift well it's hospitality what's your gift you know music what's your gift I'm pretty I'm just handsome that's just that's it I'm just handsome I can't help it how you all doing over there you can relate can you relate All right. And, and God gives that to her for a specific reason. It's not just so she can walk around and be the prom queen. She, she wins the beauty contest. There's a plot underway to kill all of the people of the Hebrews. and We don't really know, but it, it, it appears that her father has died and her uncle who's now she's adopted into the family, has raised her. He's a wise man. If truth be told, I'd rather the book be called the book of Mordecai. But Esther has the credit. But he's the propeller, the pusher, the prognosticator of the truth. And A wicked man has created a clever plot to destroy God's people. And the only one standing in the way is this aged man, Mordecai. And now he knows why his niece, adopted daughter, has been brought to the kingdom. She is to be the physical manifestation of an intercessor to save the people. That's her, her life's purpose. She has one purpose in life. And that's a pivotal purpose. She is the key that will unlock a door. But she doesn't know it yet. If just at this moment, Mordecai, if you read the entire text, you'll find that the people will join him. But in, but in, but in order, chronological order, he is really alone in his plight. And so I just read two verses and then we'll move past this. But I just, you need to know where we are. Esther chapter 4 verse 1. When Mordecai perceived the plot, the danger, the impending destruction, all that was done, tore his clothes, he ripped them, 
And he put on sackcloth and ashes. Verse 2. I'm sorry, we're still there. And went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud voice, a bitter cry, verse 2, and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. He tore his clothes and he cried in the middle of the city, even before the king's gate. Even though no one was supposed to stand there dressed like that. I'm preaching tonight on a pivotal truth. I have a short time. I preach to you the silver cup of the unseekable Molly Brown. And I pray the Lord's blessing upon our lives and upon your mind to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I know that Hollywood has exhausted the description of the tragic events that befell those traveling men and women on the commencement voyage of the Titanic. It almost seems that there was nothing uncovered or unsaid, but indeed... I'd like to shine a little light on a matter almost hidden from our modern view. The Titanic was the greatest of seaworthy vessels of its time. The builders of this massive cruise liner were in their day the most profound and skilled. It was a mighty vessel that traversed the seas, the open water, everyone who saw the ship from this RMS company, the liner, they stood in awe of her amazing strength. She was some 882 feet in length. People gawked at her beauty and majesty. No one had ever seen anything like it. The Titanic's grand display stood atop all of the boats ever made. And because of that massive boat, her width and length, the bow, the stern, the people had confidence and for good reason. She was heavy and powerful and indeed pristine. But their confidence became their undoing. The motto of the boat was this, and I quote, not even God can sink this ship. There were so many names and dates, specific times I could share with you, but maybe I could return to that on another night. However, in brief, let me just say that the captain had ignored the warning signs and they were given. And they were... Plunging headlong into an iceberg when they turned, they didn't hit it headlong. In fact, they just struck the side of the iceberg, that hovering iceberg. Only a third of it is above water. Two-thirds are always beneath. And the striking of that iceberg, the sharpened, frozen block almost of steel, opened up a hole in the side of the boat of a man's body, his torso. But that was enough. The water that filled each cavity beneath her heavy frame started to fill up. There was no way to close off the cavities as we would know today, as our boats are made today. And as the boat filled up with water on one side, the boat tipped upward and then 
as it reached its peak or some height, it started to break apart. A little over 1,500 people drowned that night in the frigid waters of the North Atlantic. And I would say, just based upon some scientific evidence, doctors would report that drowning is a horrible way to die. It attends in panic. There is, as they say, realization of the moment. There's a fight for life when the muscles become fatigued and all that you can do is reach upward. The body goes into hypothermia in those kind of waters in a matter of seconds. In fact, even two minutes, 120 seconds, your body starts to collapse. The muscles begin to wreathe in pain. And they drowned that night when they were under the water. Not a sound or a cry could be heard. There are no sounds that a man or a woman can make that can be uttered under the water. The rest of them clung to the overcrowded lifeboats and the floating fragments of that once grand vessel. There are fewer dark places on this earth like the calamity and cold, dark waters of the mighty ocean. And lost in the modern depiction of the moments that transpired that night are the days to come and the people that were rescued. I submit that there are too many undeveloped books and still paintings of the fact that 750 people lived. They should have died They all should have perished together. All the others should have also died. They were in the middle of the ocean. They would have easily died. It wouldn't have taken long. But another boat came. Not near as grand as the Titanic. Another boat came to the rescue. It was the Carpathia. And it was led by Captain Sir Arthur Henry Roston. He rushed to their aid. He was there, not just driving the boat, but he himself throwing out lifelines to those still clinging on to their own lifeboats and the broken pieces of the former Invincible. It's amazing how many Invincibles have sunk throughout the years. Or as the great man once said, Oh, how the mighty have fallen! And the weapons of war perished. Captain Roston was there, saved so many of them. And among them saved was a woman named Molly Brown. Molly survived. But she also knew that surviving one tragedy did not mean that the battle was over. You see, many of the travelers had carried with them their life savings, all of their possessions, furniture, furniture and boxes of household goods, The totality of their life, the total sum of their savings, their family heirlooms were on that boat. They were all lost in the cold waters of the Atlantic. Everything they owned was gone. So when the ordeal was over, and when they finally got back home, Molly began to raise money to help the people regain their life. And in the process of helping the survivors, she immediately paused To recognize the grace given by the captain of the Carpathia. She knew that she could not have have been saved without him. That in fact he saved her. So in response to his efforts. Molly raised funds to create a sterling silver cup. And she presented it to him in New York on May 29th, 1912. And on that cup were written these words and still are. And I quote... In grateful recognition and appreciation of his heroic and efficient service in the rescue of the survivors of the Titanic on April 15th, 1912. And of the generous and sympathetic treatment he he accorded to us on his ship from the survivors of the Titanic. She gave him 
this silver cup. Here were the thoughts of those who were aboard the Carpathia. Be saved and save others. That was their only thought, their collective and individual thought. When their lifelong dream was plummeting to the bottom of the ocean's floor and they were fighting for life, they thought these words and they said it as much. Be saved and save others. Molly was so grateful to be alive that she made it her life's ambition to keep saving people. And though it was not written as much, but it was known among them, be saved and save others. The cup given to the captain represented her life's purpose. And Molly became so positive, so full of compassion and mercy that she was nicknamed the unsinkable Molly Brown. Because Molly had determined two things. I've got to be saved. And I've got to save someone else. Rustin did it for her. And she wanted to do it for others. She knew I wasn't worthy to be saved. I should have died. But that captain of that boat, he left the comfort of his port. He left the comfort and he left his direction and left his purpose to save me. So I've got to be saved and I've got to save others. She made her life into a lifeboat. She made herself into a place where she could be saved and then she found her place. It was in the history records they would say the most important moment in our lives was to get on a lifeboat or to cling to something. Everything hinged on finding a place or something to hold on to. And then she helped others to find a place. She hung on. Some of them hung on in the water even to fragments of, of, of all that was remaining. Some of them had to move from fragments to fragments after it was all over. Molly came to understand that both the water and the land could destroy a life and that people had to live even after they were rescued so she helped survivors survive because even after they got back to land they had nothing left they had they had no money and it wasn't just it wasn't we didn't have any doctors that would talk about the shocks and and all the dreams and the things that people would go through the nightmares and nightmares and and the dreams and the and the visions and the thoughts and the sounds and the darkness and the blackness of the ocean no one talked about that so molly had had to gather the people up and she had encouraged them you're going to be okay you were rescued you're going to be all right and even after they survived they still had to be rescued on land as well as in the sea it was all over Molly understood it that her life's purpose was to keep on saving people the cup that came from the unsinkable Molly Brown speaks of love and selflessness that was her ambition selflessness is an emblem of thanks for efforts to pull a life from the death and the depth of the sea so I stand here to peel away all the peripherals take down all the facades and get to the core of what really matters and I rise up to say that there are only a handful of things that must be done be saved and save others I'm rising to this pulpit. I hope you can hear me. I'm rising to this pulpit. I hope you can hear me, not with just with your ears, but with your heart. Be saved and save others. Be saved and save others. Find a place and find a place for somebody else. Get in your spot. Cling on and hold on tight and pull up somebody else. Be saved and save others. Even things that seem important are not really important when you compare them to the core. Life will dictate. Health will demand it. Eternity will declare it. There are only a few things that really must be done. I saw it first many years ago when I walked into a hospital room. I kind of stood in the back. The patient was struggling for life. A family had called. The man needed an operation. He needed something removed or something done. There was there were issues with his body. There was a cardiovascular issue. He needed some attention in some areas that could have been remedied had it not been for the fact that compared to a more severe thing all those important things had to had to be set aside and the doctor came in to say to the family we need to stabilize him the stents can wake the cardiovascular problem can wait all these other things can wait the treatments are needful but they can wait the doctor said if he's not stabilized nothing without else matter and I rise to say tonight that there are only a few critical things that must be done you must you must you must must invariably you must you must be saved you've got to be saved I've got to tell you you've got to be saved you must be saved everything else put it aside you must be saved it's the only thing that really matters 
here, Pastor, I'm preaching here tonight. Whatever we accomplish individually or as a corporate body won't really matter if we are lost. All the gain you might attain in this life, money, houses, our property, all of it won't matter if you are not saved. You might find many things, but if your soul is lost, all the things that you will found, you find will be for naught. You must be saved. And I hope that you never give up on God. And I pray that you would never quit coming to church. I hope you never quit coming to church. I hope you never quit coming to church. Don't stop coming to church. Don't stop coming to church. What a shame for people to quit coming to church. Anyone who tells you that you don't need a place to worship is telling you a lie. And that lie is going to destroy your soul. You need a worse, a church to worship at under the banner of truth and before the Spirit of the Lord. Ah, you must be saved. I've got to be saved. I'm listening to people, many people talk about what they believe, many people speak of their personal beliefs, but if you are lost in the end, none of those conversations are going to make much difference. How I dare to say there's a lot of people who talk a big game in God, big hat, no cattle. Some boast of their knowledge of the word. They like to talk about the word. They like to talk about their tenure in church as if it holds weight in eternity. But if you are not saved, none of those other things are going to matter. You must be saved. Hear me. You've got to be saved. If your best friends abandon you for the sake of your soul, you've got to be saved. It's better that you are friendless and you have nobody around you and you are saved than for you to be lost and be the pride of the group. If your whole family rejects you and pushes you out, don't ever leave the church. If they, if they want you to live in sin, if they denounce the doctrine, you can still love them, but don't follow them. You must be saved. Here, pastor, if you suffer trouble or if you suffer loss or if you are wounded by me or anybody else or hurt by somebody or if life deals you a losing hand of sickness or some other kind of trouble, just know that you cannot give up your faith in God. You must be saved. Be saved and save others. Jesus said that it would be it would be better to go to heaven lame or crippled maybe blind a little bit maybe half blind than to enter hell whole w h o l e holy because when the lord returns and i'm afraid that there will be too many many too many bound for hell whole they are complete they are intact they have never wrinkled their clothes in an altar they've got good jobs and drive nice cars they got respect among people they are whole but they are lost so please pardon me if i'm a little flippant here but who really cares if you have a promising career or if you know bible trivia or if you're popular and have friends none of that's going to matter if you are lost you gotta pardon me now you really think it matters hear me who really cares if you win all the arguments and know how to speak your mind and know how to type little clever things on Facebook or you are emotionally strong or you know how to put people in their place who cares if you've elevated yourself in the crowd if you are lost then all you've built is a flammable pedestal I'm standing here to say you've got to be saved pardon me but I feel a little urgency in the Holy Spirit because I know complacency is the poison of our entire generation. Nobody cares. You cruise in. You can do whatever you want. I'm preaching this word and some of you are gossiping, talking, and playing on your phones. I'm going to tell you, i got a little window to give you the most important message of your life. You have got to be saved. You're not going to hear this on NFL Sunday Night Football. You're not going to hear it on Sunday afternoon television. You're not going to hear it at school. You're not going to hear it in the marketplace. You're not going to hear it on your job. You're not going to hear it among people, but you got to hear it night from this little windy Italian preacher you gotta be saved
Well, now, the reason why I'm not coming to church, Pastor, is because, you know, I got a lot of things going on. And besides, you know, there's some people I just don't like. And, you know, I just, I don't want to put myself in that place, you know, just to get hurt. Oh, really? Really? You're not going to put yourself in that place so that someone can say something bad about you? If everyone sneered at you, you get to this house and get to that altar. Because if you came just so somebody can smile, give you a handshake and say, we really love you. I'm going to tell you right now, everybody can love you, but if the Lord doesn't know you, it won't matter. Everybody can hate you, but if the Lord loves you, that's all you'll ever need in your life. I say you got to be saved. So pardon me a little bit. I feel urgency in the Holy Ghost. You've got to make it. You've got to be saved. Peter was only echoing the words of Jesus Christ when he wrote in his book, and I quote, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the whole works that are therein shall be burned up. Jesus said to John on the Lord's day in the book of Revelation chapter 3 verse 2. He said, wake up, strengthen what remains. Verse 3, remember this is the Lord. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, here's the Lord. I will come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come to you. When the Lord returns, people won't even know he came. The only evidence that the Lord has come is that people will be missing. They'll be gone. And I say that not houses or land or gold or IRAs or investments, not stocks or bonds or 401ks, there's not a friend or an enemy worth your soul. Hear me, young ladies. You'll never meet a guy that's better than meeting Jesus in the sky. He's preaching with the preacher. That's better than some of you have done. At least he's got some voice. I wish you'd just cry out to God right now. You know, you ought to be crying out to God. I need you! Hear me, young men. That girl isn't worth your time. Hear me, older men. That woman that you're pursuing, you better be very careful. If she leads you down the wrong way, you don't want to marry her. I know I run the risk sounding like a clanging cymbal. Some, oh, I hate to say it, middle-aged preacher. Don't say amen, Joe. That's not the time, man. (laughs) Just blowing hot air. I know I run the risk of looking like some ranting man. But I feel a little bit like Mordecai. When he found out that an evil, wicked man, Haman, was going to slaughter all of his people. There's his niece, Esther, relaxing in the palace. She's lavished upon herself the pleasures of life, clothes and servants and comfort. But Mordecai is wailing in the streets. He's making an open show of himself. He's pacing back and forth in front of the palace gates. He's walking down the byways. He has torn his clothes and doused himself with the grime of ashes just to make himself appear stricken. And Esther is given a word as she lounges in her comfortable, silk-covered chair. What he has done to himself. And the Bible will tell us that she sends him new clothes because it's embarrassing her. I just don't like to be around people like that. I I don't want to go to a church like that. But Mordecai rejects the clothes because he knows the reality that's coming. He knows it. He 
knows. And it leads me to the second great point of life. Not only must we be saved, but there is a city that is lost. And they're going to hell if we don't reach them. So be saved and save others. It's the pleasure and the privilege of the unsinkable Molly Brown, which says, thank you for saving me. Now I must save someone else. It's the privilege. It's the pleasure. It's the cup that represents what you did for me. And it propels me to do something for someone else. But there are very few Christians today, Pentecostals, who would ever give a cup like that because they're enjoying what's happened in their life. And they forgot the idea that if they were saved by someone, they ought to reciprocate and reach out to the next. Gallup polling is perhaps the single most credible polling centers in the United States. There's a lot of polling, but most of it has such small sample sizes you really don't know. But I trust Gallup. They're, they're, they're pretty credible. Last year, the poll was taken, which revealed that in the history of their business, America has reached the lowest percentage of people who think the Bible is true. It, it now is just a mere 24% who thinks the Bible is true. And fewer than that actually believe that Jesus is coming again. America is losing its faith in the rapture. But most astounding, that number is, only, is not only poultry among the entire population, but church members quietly denounce the biblical description of hell. Of course, we're promised of a revival, and a revival is taking place, but it's not taking place in our homeland. We're finding the revival in the countries of Brazil, China, Ethiopia, parts of Africa. There's a massive revival right now in the Philippines. Thousands upon thousands, and they're living under the heavy hand of a dictator, Duterte. That's why I'm preaching here tonight. We must be saved, and we've got to save others. You must be saved, and you've got to save others. You've got to be saved, and you've got to save others. There is a city that needs to be saved. There are people who are drowning. They're clinging to life, barely clinging to life. Did you know that suicides have spiked in the last three years? Because people who don't know God, when they run into trouble, think the best way out is to commit suicide. We got to reach them before they find out that there's a that 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 that, that there's a better. But that before they find out that there's no other way, we got to reach them so they know you don't have to do that. There's a way out of your mess. There's a place that loves you. Hear me, if you're saved. It's incumbent upon you to reach out and find somebody. Why would you be in a lifeboat? Why would you live your whole life in a lifeboat and watch people almost about to go down, almost drowning? They're clinging on to a fragment. You ought to put your hand out there. You ought to say, I've got to reach you. You ought never say, I'm not bold enough. I don't think they'll receive me. Hear me? Even if they reject you, somebody's going to grab a hold. Somebody's going to be pulled up. You can save them. Hear me, church? You can save them. I met, a, I met a lady, and she was not attending church, and she was a backslider, and she said, well, I really don't want to go to church anymore. And I, and I said, well, I'd love for you to come and visit our church. She said, I've heard a lot of good things about the church, but I don't like to go to a big church. It's big, it's big, big. too big. Every once in a while, you know, I hear this stuff, it's too big, you know. We, we, we like to go to a small church. Well, I want to know about the small churches. Do, ever, do they ever pray for revival? God forbid that the small church would have revival. If they had revival, then they'd be a big church. Is that what we're praying for? We're praying for, we just want to have 35 people and that's it because 35 is good. Is that really right? If you're 35 people, if you're 10 people, you ought to be praying for 500 people. Otherwise, you got in the boat, you don't care about giving the cup, you just think it's all about you. Hear me, this is not a big church. And it's not near as big as it's going to be. And if you're afraid of this size, you're going to have a nightmare when we get into the next place. 
I want to tell that lady, wherever she is, God love her. I, if, if this is what God wanted me to do, I just shut down. But every day I'm looking for somebody else. Every day I'm trying to rescue somebody else. Did you want me to continue? Hear me. You can't keep me from, from rescuing people. I'm going to throw out more lifelines. I'm going to tell them you can be loved. Here's what I'm going to tell them. You can find a home. You can find a refuge. We'll love you. We'll help you. Because there's salvation here. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Is this it now? Is this it? Now, mother, is this all? What if we had all your kids? Come on, what if we had all your family coming here? Is there room for all your family? What if we had all of them? Come on, Brother Morris, what do we have all of them? All the people that you know that's struggling and they're, and they're grinding it out and they need God. What if we had all of them? Could there be 20 more or 30 more or 40 more? Is there enough room in this boat? Is there enough room? Listen, if you're drowning in the sea and the boat's filled up and somebody's drowning and somebody's in the water, wouldn't you say it's okay? We might go down, but we can't leave them there. We gotta get them inside the boat. you don't understand you don't understand there's so many drugs there's so many addictions there's so many struggles there's so much depression they're drowning out there they don't got any hope they don't got any refuge So I don't want you to say that you're uncomfortable because there's a lot of people I'll tell you what you do you squeeze in you squeeze in you go on a perpetual fast. Just get smaller if you have to. I don't know what you got to do. Just like put some things around you. Just kind of squeeze in. If we run out of chairs, get a little lawn chair. Come on, just put it out in the front. Don't we have enough room? I'm not bothered. Just stand up and stand by the wall and say it's okay because they're going to die. If they don't get inside this boat, they're going to die. Here's the things. You got to be saved and you got to save someone else. Hear me? Thank God there was room for you and pray to God there'll be room for others. Well, you know, the day of Pentecost church, which is all these Pentecostal churches and what we think we're patterned after, they had 3,000 in one day. One day they had 3,000. They went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. That's pretty good. About 28 times, 27 times. I could be off, but please don't do the math. Come on, let's just get on with the analogy. A preacher prophesied. I was there when I heard, I was there and heard it, and I received it for our church. This is what he said. He said there are there's a church in this in this in this building, representing this building. I was sitting there, and he said, "You're going to double in one revival. You're going to double your, the size of your church in one revival." And my mind started to. Started to turn over. Where are we going to put them? Who's going to give up their place? How are we going to pray for him? Would our church have faith to believe it? That in one revival, we could double the size of our church. Wait a second. I'm looking out at you and you and you and I know that you have a son lost and you have a friend that's lost and you have children that are lost and you have friends that are struggling. Come on now. Come on now. Did you not want them to be saved? Or do you think it's okay? Listen, be saved and save others. I want to talk about the unsinkable Molly Brown. She knows I got to do something. Why? Because I was saved and if I was saved, they got to be saved. If I was rescued, they got to be rescued. Hear me. The most pious Christian's 
and Pentecostals that ever existed are people who enjoy their salvation but never reach out to reach for someone else and pick someone else up. Shame on you if you never tell anybody about Jesus. You never give a Bible study. Shame on you. I want to tell you something. It's not good enough for you to be in here. You got to be saved and you got to save others. And maybe, maybe I should start praying this prayer. I'm kind of provoked to do it. I'm praying the prayer. I haven't started yet. I wrote it down on a piece of paper. In my devotion, I wrote it down. Maybe our church needs to have a very healthy vision of hell. Because you won't ever make, have a good reason to make a disciple and be a friend until you get a vision of hell. If we really believe in the necessity of baptism and the new birth experience, if what Jesus said to Nicodemus was true, that, and I quote, except a man be born again of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, then we won't ever save anybody. You better get a vision of hell. It's real. I don't care what the majority says. I don't care how low the Gallup polls go. I want to tell you right now, you've got to be saved because there is a real heaven and there's a real hell. And if you're hearing the sound of my voice, you, you have got to be saved. Let me tell you what the angel did to Lot and to his family. Two angels were there pulling them out of the city. They compelled them. They grabbed them by the hands and they pulled them out of the impending fire. Sometimes we got to get bold enough and say, You've got to be saved. It's not good enough. I take no pleasure in having a dinner with people that are lost and backslidden and act like everything's okay. I'm grieved. It's hard to swallow my food. It's hard for me to sit there and look around the room. It's hard for me to sit around backsliders. It's hard for me to sit around people that I love and I know they're not safe. I'm chewing in the, on my mouth, but I'm chewing in my heart. I'm wondering what can we do? I gotta turn the conversation. I gotta talk about the Holy Ghost. No. No, I know what we want. I know what we want. What we want is not this. But the reason why we don't want this, because we, we forgot the day that we were sinking in sin. Far from God, perishing from cold. And the blessed Savior heard me. Jesus is walking on the water in the night. The disciples are on the boat. They peer out. The misty fog blankets the water a few feet. Looks like a ghost. They know it's a man. They're not sure who it is. Peter has donned perhaps... A fisherman's coat. He's standing on the bow of that boat. He can't really see through the misty fog. He calls out. Jesus! If it's you, bid me come. One uttered word from the ancient one who traverses the water, as if it were glass, says, Come. And Peter throws off his garment, takes a leap of faith over the side of that small fisherman's vessel, careful not to snag his foot on the draping ropes beneath the net he lands on top of what should have been his demise and begins to walk out to the shadowy figure who he believes is Jesus the savior and as he's walking toward the Lord he will 
He will set in firm foundation and establish that he will be the only other man to have walked on water. Except he looks down because he takes notice of what he thinks he's doing. (laughs) And at that moment that he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at himself, he begins to sink. As if a trap door has opened up. And the water now has found itself. It's combined into its original chemical form. And now he plunges into the very ocean that will be his grave. But on his way down, he's got two words that's left before the water fills his lungs. And he says, read it in your Bible. Save me! And the master of the universe, the head of the church, the savior of the world, echoes the law of the first mentioned. And he says, as he does this, he reaches down, I'm sorry, not says, but he reaches down with his hand and pulls him up. He solidifies the operation of his future church. Because it's not enough for you to find miracles and wonders in your life and keep it to yourself. Somebody is drowning. What we feel in this place is a powerful move of the Shekinah glory of the Most High God. It's not good enough for you to feel it. When a whole city is drowning in peril and sorrow and shame and degradation and debauchery and sin, they're saying, save me. Now the operation of the church comes down to just one last thing. Save yourself and save others. That is the operation of our church. So it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we spend in money. Everything comes down to that. we got to be saved and we've got to save others. We're not buying things just to look good. We're not building buildings just to make us feel good. We don't need another cafe. We don't need another table to eat biscuits and gravy. We don't need another, we don't need another brunching. We don't need a little big, bigger place. I don't even care about a basketball court. What I do care about is seats to put people in. I care about that. What I care about is having a place where everybody can come. What I care about is the 60,000 people that are on their way to hell. And you got the message and we've got the miracle. And I want to say they're drowning. You got to pick them up. You got to put them with you. You got to find somebody. Save yourself and save others. I'm almost done. So I say again with some contempt. And so please pardon me if this sounds a little sharp. But what will it matter if we enjoy ourselves and enjoy our church and enjoy our programs and I enjoy them? What will it matter if sinners are not saved and the lost are not found? And what difference does a well-rehearsed sermon do if there are no lifelines or rescue boats searching the city for survivors? What difference does all of this make if there's not a Carpathia in the house? I wonder, is there a Carpathia in the house? Is there anybody who would make themselves a rescue boat in a Carpathia? I want to present a sterling silver cup from a powerfully positive survivor who remembers that she was saved and who lives to save someone else. Is there, a, is there an unsinkable lady in this church that would say, I was saved. And it's my ambition to save. I want you to present your life a vessel, a cup before the Lord. Is there a man in this church that say, I'm an unsinkable child of God. Who was pulled out of the frigid waters. And I present myself as a vessel of life ambition, a cup. (laughs) 
it's me Lord it's me Lord it's me Lord it's me Lord I've got to be saved and I've got to save others come on you ought to pray it I've got to be saved and I want to save others so I'm going to go to the highways and I'm going to find as many as I can and I'm going to bid them come because the wedding is getting ready and they which were bidden are not worthy they didn't come so go come on servants of the most high God go into the highways put them in your homes put them in a coffee shop pray with them start a Bible study find the good and the bad and the ugly and invite them to your own lives and be a friend to them and make a disciple Is Kara in this building? Where are you, Kara? Kara? Where's your sister at? I didn't see her. Okay. I wanted to tell her, I wanted to talk about her. Kayla's starting something too. So I don't want to leave her out in this conversation. Kayla started something. So since you're her sister, come and represent her now. You kind of look alike. You're going to represent, come represent Kayla. This is Kayla's sister, Kara. Kara is at home right now. She couldn't be here, but Kay- Kayla couldn't be here. Sorry. My God, why wouldn't your dad name you something else? Bridget. Okay. Kayla is at home. Kayla started reaching her friends, right? She started reaching her friends. She baptized her friend. Prayed for her to get the Holy Ghost. Keeps bringing them to church. I want to say to you, Kayla, if you're watching, thank you for being unsinkable, Kayla, to presenting your body as a vessel for the needs of the lost. Thank you. Carrie Martinez, where are you, Carrie? Where are you, Carrie? Carrie's getting ready to baptize. Okay, hold on a second. Somebody get Carrie out here. That's all right. I need, I need Carrie. Tell her, come out here. Carrie got a hold of it, found a friend, but she didn't have enough friends. So she started a Bible study up the road at the House of Hope. They told her, now you really can't talk anything about doctrine. And she said, okay, I'll just talk about the Bible. <laughs> Come here. I know, I know it's kind of odd. Come out here. Just How many people have you baptized so far? This will be seven people that she's baptizing. Seven. <laughs> I'm preaching about the unsinkable. I'm preaching about the vessel of the unsinkable Carrie Martinez who was rescued. I'm going to tell you about Carrie Martinez. She was rescued. When she found this church, she was in a heap of trouble. It was horrible. And she was alone. And she had babies and she was alone and she went through struggle and laid on the floor and cried. I cannot tell you. It would be embarrassing. I don't want to tell the whole story what she went through, but she lost everything. All she had was God. I wish I could tell it all. It's so it's so horrific, but I would tell it. But Carrie hung on to her faith, even though she all she had left was her two sons. And she came to church and she was destitute and lifted up her hands and she began to magnify God because she was pulled from the water. Hear me. I got I gotta ease your minds so that you're not and I know that we're not judgmental, but Carrie didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't her fault. But she had to deal with what was wrong and it wasn't her fault. And she got in that pew. She got that pew. She began to worship God. She took those little two baby boys and she brought them to church. And she drove 45 minutes to this house on the North Campus. And she drove 45 minutes one way and drove 45 minutes back the other way. And she joined the choir and she had to tend her boys alone. And she did it by herself because she knew God pulled me from the fire. Here. Her husband just started a job. He's got to work at night. So good, I get to talk about him. 
Little did she know there was a guy teaching people how to work out and lose weight. Hallelujah. Some people were taking lessons and he was a personal trainer. He didn't have any money. Had no money. Her husband Jason had no money. He had nothing. I hired him. He said, okay, you and you and your wife. I, he said, I, this is what you're going to do. We're working out. And this was great. And I was almost going to drop him. I almost didn't want to pay like the, like the $15 for the half hour. I just wasn't really excited about it. You know, we had to do the stuff. I could do it all by myself and, until he brought out these two mitts. You can put them on your hands. And the other person got the boxing gloves. And Tammy and I got to do it. I said, man, this is awesome. But of course, Tammy got carried away. I think she kicked me. <laughs> and one day, I was talking to him about the Lord. And we went over to Java Holt. And we just sat there. And, and I said, well, man, why didn't you get here soon enough? And he put his head down and said, because I've had so many DUIs. I, I've got a little contraption on my car. I, I'm sorry. I had to tell it. And he said, I got to, to get the car started, I got to blow in a device to make sure I haven't been drinking and the car won't start if I have any alcohol in my system. He said, so part of me, I got to put my head down. I got I to gotta blow in this device before my car starts. He said, I'm kind of embarrassed about it. I said, it's okay. He said, well, I'm, I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go give blood because I don't have enough money to, to put gas in my car. And I said, no, no, you're not going to do that. I'm going to go fill your car up with gas. But if I do, I want you to come to church. He said, okay, pastor, I'll, I'll come to church. Actually, he didn't even call me pastor at that time. He, he, he just called me Jeff okay Jeff okay I'll, I'll come and I put gas in his car in, my, in his car and I said listen I want, I want to give you a Bible study and I want you to come to church and he started to come to church and I taught him about baptism and a preacher came one day and we, and Jason would sit down in the pew and he said I'm not getting baptized I'm not getting baptized no way not today and the preacher said you came in here saying you weren't going to get baptized and you made up your mind not to get baptized but you've got to get baptized and then Josh Herring started to preach and he came to the altar that day and lived up his hands and was baptized in Jesus name and little did he know that the love of his life was sitting one row behind he one row behind him and Tammy turned to him and said mm, you look like a good young man and I know the right young lady that fit right into your life she likes to box too and God put them together and they have another beautiful baby boy I'm gonna tell you what he was rescued it would be a shame for anybody to be pulled from that water and not to put out their hand and say, I'll take you. There's room in my life for you. There's room in my life for you. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that church people that have been in church all their life, they've got a little problem thinking they were never rescued. Come on now. If you've grown up in church you got an innate problem because you think you don't need this because you can't remember because you never did it that was the affliction of the mind of Robin Hudiger who is a generational multi-generational Pentecostal apostolic come here Robin because Robin liked to come to church Robin never been in the world Robin never knew the world Robin's father and mother and grandfather and all of her cousins and uncles, all of them are, a bunch of them are preachers and been in church all her life. And she came to church and came to church and came to church until one day I'm preaching a sermon called, There's a Demand on Your Life. And while I'm preaching that sermon, I'm looking over and I can't, I do, know why, I do not know why I said it. But I looked over and she was sitting on this side and I called out her name of all the people. And I said, Robin, there's a demand on your life. Something clicked. I gotta rescue. I gotta get somebody. I gotta get somebody. And she went back to work the next week. She started talking to her her boss. Who was it? Debbie. Come here, Debbie. Put out a lifeline for Debbie. Come on. Stand by. I want you to stand by the vessel of the inv of the unsinkable Robin Hudiger. Here is the vessel, the cup, the silver cup. The treasure of the unsinkable Robin Hudiger. She kept pulling people and pulling people. Now, can you just remember the numbers and tell them how many came to church and give me all the numbers that you told me the other day? 150 came to church. Over 75 have been baptized and gotten the Holy Ghost. 
150 people came to church and 75 of them received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's got a click in your brain. I don't care if your mama was in church or if your grandfather is in church or if you've never tasted anything in the world. You are a, you are a rescue boat. You've got to be saved and you've got to save. I'm humbled. I'm humbled. I stand in awe. I'm humbled. Come on, everybody. God is calling this church. You have got to take a pew and fill it up. You've got to take a section and fill it up. You've got to find all of your friends and fill it up. You've got to take a couple chairs and fill it up.